0: A quick warning. Today's episode discusses sensitive issues including suicide, trauma, and abuse. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, help is available. Call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Hey, it's Dan. We've got a special episode for you this week produced by Side Effects Public Media, a collaboration of several public radio stations in the Midwest focused on healthcare. We're featuring an episode of Sick, a podcast that investigates what goes wrong in the places meant to keep us healthy. Today, hosts Lauren Bavis and Jake Harper take us inside Indiana's women's prison and show how the system of care broke down for one woman. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs.
1: After the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, communication got weird for a while. We all spent way more time on the phone and on video calls, frustrated by slow internet and choppy audio but those hard to hear calls that were so annoying for us that's the norm for natalie medley all our phone calls start like this Hello,
2: this is a prepaid call from natalie an inmate at the indiana woman's prison to accept this call press zero this call is subject to monitoring and recording hi hey has everything been good on
1: your end Yeah, I'm, um... Natalie has a reputation as a bit of a rabble-rouser. She speaks her mind, even when she knows it will get her in trouble. And it often does.
2: So I'm a definite fighter. And when I say fighter, I just mean, like, against the system. I, I don't have good relationships with staff.
1: Those staff members can take away Natalie's privileges. Although you and I might not consider them privileges. Things like being able to watch TV or buy snacks. Worse than that. Much worse. They can put Natalie in the segregated housing unit, solitary confinement.
3: At the Indiana Women's Prison, the segregated housing unit is a hallway with 25 cells. Natalie was sent to that unit in the summer of 2015. She remembers being there a couple weeks before she got some news.
2: I was told to pack out. A new person had arrived in lock. I was told that she was 19. She was sent to lock from the chow hall that afternoon.
3: People in prison talk in this sort of shorthand. The segregated housing unit, that's Locke or SEG. A correctional officer, that's a CO. The chow hall, obviously, is the cafeteria. The woman coming to Locke. her name was Prinsola Shields. She was black and young, really young, just 19. She'd only been at the women's prison a few months. Staff took Prinsola to a bathroom, where she was locked in a shower stall behind a metal grate. It's a place for staff to strip-search the women, a normal stop on the way to Locke. Someone new coming in was exciting for the women on the unit.
2: You know, you're in this dull environment with no, you know, with nothing. So it's like, oh, okay, something's happening, right? A new amity. So everybody's always excited about a new amity, especially one that is bumping somebody out of luck. Right. So, I mean, you know, the people who want to get out and are about to get out are excited. So there was a lot of energy going on.
1: Natalie might get out. That was good. What wasn't good was that Prinsola, the 19 year old, coming into lock, she wouldn't stop screaming and screaming. It was annoying for the officers, which Natalie liked, but as it dragged on, it was more and more troubling. Prinsola was threatening suicide.
2: Screaming that she was going to kill herself, and um, she was begging staff to help her. It was heartbreaking. That she kept, you know, crying and saying that she didn't do anything because um, I could relate. I could empathize with how it is. And the people who sent her to Locke are very oppressive, period. And especially to young women and especially to young black women.
1: Then Natalie got to go outside for a couple hours of recreation time.
2: We had wreck that day at 1 p.m. Priscilla was still screaming in the shower. When they brought us in at 3, it was quiet. It was completely quiet. The person across the hall from me, she asked me, where is Prinsola?
3: Natalie remembers coming in from rec at 3 p.m. It was quiet, so she assumed Prinsola was put in a cell, that she'd left that shower stall. But 15 minutes later, something was going on around the bathroom. Natalie didn't know what. She couldn't see the bathroom from her cell. But women in prison use sign language to communicate while in lock or other places they might get in trouble for talking. Another woman with a clear view of the bathroom signed to Natalie what she was seeing. COs going in and out. Then medical staff. And finally, a stretcher. The next thing Natalie knew, the prison was locked down.
2: We were locked in the cells. We didn't have dinner, you know, on time. We weren't allowed to shower. And the COs, we were mad if we would ask questions.
3: Natalie had a question What happened to Prinsola? Within days, she found out Prinsola was dead. This is Sick, a podcast about what goes wrong in the places meant to keep us healthy. I'm Lauren Bavis.
1: And I'm Jake Harper. In the United States, health care isn't a right, except for one group of people, the incarcerated. The Eighth Amendment, the one against cruel and unusual punishment. That amendment has been interpreted by the courts to mean people in jail or prison are guaranteed a minimum standard of health care. It doesn't have to be the best care in the world, but while you're in custody, you get treatment.
3: And that's important because a lot of people in prison are sick. So this season, we are investigating prisons, mostly one prison, the Indiana Women's Prison, a maximum security facility in Indianapolis. Unlike last season, this isn't one story about one doctor. This is about a system and the ways that system can break down. What happens when a place that has to keep people healthy is also built to punish them?
1: And we're starting with the story of Prinsula Shields. What went wrong with Sola's care? Pretty much everything.
2: Fire an ambulance with the address of your emergency 2596 Girls School Road, the Indianapolis Women's Prison. Okay. We have a woman that has attempted to hang herself. She's received um, CPR for the last 15 minutes. Okay. Unresponsive. responsive. We shocked her with AED. We need someone ASAP.
3: As we started to report Prinsola's story, we saw her mugshot—a picture of a young black woman with a serious expression in an ugly mustard-yellow jail uniform. We also had a mental image based on what Natalie Medley described—someone locked in a shower stall, screaming for hours. But that's not the same Prinsola you see on her Facebook page. That's where you get a glimpse of the 19-year-old she really was. She's vibrant and bubbly, always smiling and laughing. This. Is Prinsola Shields.
0: Shout out to God, my number one. Shout out to all the lovers out there.
1: She posted several short videos to Facebook from the months just before she went to prison. In her videos, Prinsola isn't serious or hysterical. She vaped and listened to music.
0: What's up, y'all?
1: She cooked herself a burger and fries at home. She found a stray cat and reunited it with its owner.
3: Look at its tail, it's so fluffy. So fluffy. Say hi. Say hi. Just normal, everyday moments for a teenager. Which made us wonder, how does a 19-year-old go from this... So everybody tell me one thing you're thankful for. I'll start. I'm thankful for my sister and my brother. ...to hanging in a prison shower stall.
1: The brother Priscilla mentions in her video, he's seven years older. His name is David Johnson. And my sister was... Uh...
4: A loving person, You never met a person that she didn't like, you know, I mean, she walked in right now, she complimented the green on your shirt, you know, she compliments your hair, you know, what I mean, she just was a
1: genuinely good hearted person. David remembers Prinzola had a job at a burger joint in the fall of 2014.
3: David was excited when she started working there. She'd recently been in trouble. Prinsola was caught shoplifting at a mall in a neighboring county that summer. But with a new job, it seemed like she was on a good path forward.
4: So I'm happy for you know I'm on some old technical like okay good now save you start saving up your checks and I remember calling she got she's bought a rabbit a white rabbit I was just like okay like why do we need this rabbit at this point in time you know we're trying to get jobs we're trying to get life together and you bought a rabbit but she just was a free spirit like that me and her were in a disagreement. Um, so to speak, the night she got arrested.
3: David remembers in January of 2015, they had a fight. He loved that his sister was a free spirit. He also knew that being kind and loving didn't mean the world would treat you fairly, especially if you're a young black woman. And he wanted his sister to be prepared for that.
4: That's kind of harsh, you know, to tell someone who's got a good heart and really just wants to be loved at the end of the day, you're telling her. That's not the way life is. That's not the way the world is. So unfortunately, yeah, we um, had a um, big disagreement, kind of spewed out, and she ended up leaving. The next day, myself and uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time both received phone calls.
1: Prinzola had been picked up by the police for marijuana possession. Remember, she had been caught shoplifting in nearby Johnson County the summer of 2014. She was supposed to go to court, but she never showed, so a judge issued a warrant for her arrest. Brentola ended up in the Johnson County Jail, south of the city.
4: I, I blame myself. I blame myself 100 because um, and she left that night. I didn't do anything to prevent it. I didn't handle it the right way. That argument, that situation, was like the last time I got to physically see her living.
3: At the Johnson County Jail, Prinsola got into a few fights. During one of them, jail staff came in to restrain her. According to a report, she struggled and gave a deputy a thin scratch on his eyelid. That added some new charges to Prinsola's record disorderly conduct, resisting a law enforcement officer, and a big one battery. It's usually a misdemeanor, but when you hit a cop or a corrections officer, it's more serious. It's a felony. Prinsola stole two watches, a purse, and an electronic device from a Sears in Greenwood, Indiana. She ended up in prison.
0: More from Sick in a Minute. You're listening to Tradeoffs.
3: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Only at Sleep Number Stores or Sleepnumber.com.
0: Welcome back. Today's episode comes courtesy of the team at Side Effects Public Media. Hosts Lauren Bavis and Jake Harper. Pick up the story.
1: Prinzola got to the Indiana Women's Prison in May of 2015, and she was placed in the same unit as Noelle Green. Noelle remembers everyone called her Princey.
5: I remember her coming up to me and being like I love your glasses. You're so pretty, blah, blah, blah. I like you, you know? And I'm like, thank you. And you could tell she was young. And then, you know, we started talking about the glasses thing. And she said she can't see shit. So I helped her get a pair of glasses so she could see. And from that point on, she was my buddy.
1: Noelle was a mom. She felt protective of Princeola. She says she would get Princeola stuff when she needed it. The glasses, a pair of her old shoes. And she got to know her as they palled around the unit. She remembers Prinzola was funny and she had a great singing voice.
5: She sang in church services or whatever, um, little church songs. That was always a nice treat.
1: Other friends told us some of the same things Noelle and David did. Prinzola could be fun, sweet, and goofy, but she struggled over the five months she was in prison. She got in trouble.
5: We would have like a a church service, you know, a couple nights a week and everyone goes because, you know, we all want to get out of the room. And I think she was talking to whoever was next to her and I kept telling her, be quiet. And the guard kept warning her. She she wouldn't stop. You know, it was like she didn't take that warning seriously enough. And I, I kind of realized at that point, She doesn't really understand the gravity of what was happening in her life. So she went to luck for that.
3: On September 21st, 2015, Prinsola was a few weeks away from getting out. She was excited. Noelle would see her occasionally at lunch, and they sent each other notes after Noelle moved to a different unit.
5: She talked about it all day long. She was like, I'm going to go eat this. I'm going to go see my grandma. I'm going to live with my grandma, get me a job, blah, 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 type of thing. Okay? So, what happened is, um, oh God, it was crazy. I was in the chow hall.
1: How far away?
5: Probably like t- a table away. There was one table in between us, you know, one of the ones that are like bolted to the floor, okay? She was standing up in line.
3: This is what Noelle remembers happening a captain approached Prinsola. She was wearing a shirt like all the other women, but according to Noelle, there was a faint stamp on it, which meant it was supposed to be a pajama shirt. Noelle doubts Prinsola even knew there was a rule about which shirts to wear. Other guards never brought it up. He saw the thing on her shirt
5: and told her she can't wear that shirt. And she was like, what? She didn't know. So he put it out and then, you know, was a dick about it basically. And she was like, oh, okay, so what? Uh, you know, who cares? <laughs> no problem. Next time I won't wear it. That type of attitude. She was looking at me like, can you believe this, motherfucker? You know, that type of look on her face. And I just kept like shaking my head, telling her to shut up. But she didn't. And he called um, some guards over and said, Take Miss Shields to lock, you know, because it happens out of nowhere. They took her, and she at that point she was hysterical. Because it's like, what the fuck? I didn't do anything wrong.
1: Noelle felt like the confrontation in the cafeteria was unavoidable. That as soon as prinsola copped an attitude, the captain was sending her to lock. prinsola was young and impulsive, and COs don't respond well to that. But the prison knew something Noelle didn't. Prinzola's entire medical history, specifically her mental health history.
3: Many women in prison have mental illnesses, or traumatic pasts, or both. It's why some of them go to prison in the first place. Childhood trauma in particular can result in women having hair triggers. It's a defense mechanism they learn early in life. So they may be prone to conflict with their peers or authority figures. But mental health is health. Prisons are supposed to be equipped to deal with it. Prison staff knew Prinsola had a traumatic past. She had bounced around from house to house as a child, sometimes living with her mom, sometimes her grandma. She spent time in a juvenile facility. She got pregnant and her child was placed for adoption, all before she was 18. When Prinsola got to jail, she was placed on suicide watch. After she got charged with battery against that guard, she first went to a prison called the Rockville Correctional Facility. And that medical history from the jail, that went with her. And at Rockville, it got longer. About a week into her time there, she used a razor to carve the word pain into her arm. She was placed on suicide watch again. The staff at Rockville diagnosed Prinsola with PTSD and depression. She needed special care, that's why she was sent to the Indiana Women's Prison. It's the prison for women with the most serious mental and physical health needs.
1: There's no question that the staff at IWP knew about the potential difficulties in caring for Prinzola. Her medical records traveled with her, and the psychologist at IWP even warned the higher-ups about Prinzola's conditions. He sent an email to the warden, and the same Captain Noel remembers from the cafeteria and several others. And even if they didn't read that email, there were warning signs once Prinsula arrived at IWP. She tried to kill herself there, twice, once in June of 2015 and again in August. She wrapped a bed sheet around her neck, and prison staff had to cut her down. She was placed on suicide watch each time. By September 21st, 2015, the prison had a full file on Prinsula. Putting someone with a history of suicidal behavior into a high pressure situation like lock could have deadly consequences. We wanted to talk to someone from the Indiana Department of Correction about what happened to Prinsola, but a spokesperson denied our request for an interview. Not just about Prinsola, but for everything we reported on this season. They also declined to answer many of the questions we emailed them.
3: A correctional sergeant brought Prinsola to lock just after noon. The sergeant placed her in a shower. That was normal. What wasn't normal was how long she stayed there. Officially, staff should have checked on her every 15 minutes. And at first they did, more or less. Someone checked on her three times during the first hour. Sometimes they stayed for a few minutes, talking with Prinzola. But after that, the checks were spottier. 25 minutes passed between checks, then 42 minutes. Three quick ones, then another 24-minute gap. Then finally, a 44-minute gap. It's likely during this period that she stopped screaming.
1: Prinzola was locked behind a door, kind of a metal grate with small diamond shaped holes. And just on the other side of that grate was a shower curtain. A bed sheet, really, used as a curtain. Forty four minutes is a long time. Long enough to figure out that if no one comes by and checks on you, you might be able to get that sheet through one of those tiny holes. And that's what Prinzola did. Bit by bit, she pulled the sheet through until she had enough fabric to tie it around her neck. Investigators later found that it would have taken Prinzola at least 15 minutes to pull the sheet through the grate, which means if the guards were checking on her when they were supposed to, they would have been able to stop her. But they didn't check on her every 15 minutes. At 3:14 p.m., a correctional officer discovered Prinzola hanging in the stall. It took about 3 more minutes to get her down the custody staff started doing CPR. Despite the clear emergency unfolding at the prison that day, it took half an hour before someone called 911. Half an hour.
2: Okay, what door do you need them to use? The very back door. you still performing CPR now? Yes, oh. yes we are. The okay. doctor's on site. All right, Thank we'll you. get them on the way.
1: An ambulance got there 10 minutes after that, and Prinsola was taken to the hospital. She was alive.
3: Prinsola's brother David started getting calls and texts while he was at work from people he didn't even know had his phone number. His cousin told him he needed to go to the hospital right away. Prinsola was alive but there was nothing the doctors could do. When she got to the hospital she was unresponsive. Soon she would be brain dead.
4: It broke my heart, broke my heart, failed her, you know, it's my little sister. And I mean, it hurts, you know? She had, it was black, black kind of like a tar coming out of her side of her mouth, running out of the side of her mouth. She had tubes in her mouth, hooked up to everything. Eyes were swollen. Just not how I would've wanted to see my sister ever. I kissed her and just apologized, and, you know, I, I was there when they took her off the life support, and I literally watched her. I watched the decrease in her breaths. Her, the sheet that's covering, the cover that's covering her going and just slowly just not even making any movement at all. I watched all of that.
3: Prinsola died at the hospital early in the morning on September 22nd, 2015. She was 19 years old and would have left the prison in a few weeks.
1: Noelle remembers the prison was locked down. Not long after, she heard what happened from another woman, that Prinsola had died. Prinsola was Noelle's friend, a young woman she wanted to protect. And now, so close to being released from prison, she was gone. Noelle was stuck in prison, and her contact with the outside world was limited. But she made a decision right then. The outside world needed to know what happened to Prince Sola, and Noelle needed to figure out how to tell that story. People have
5: to know what happened here. Wrong is wrong. And if these motherfuckers want to come back at me and punish me, right, for exposing what they did that day, then so be it. I understand what I'm risking.
3: So how do you get justice from behind prison walls? That's next time on SICK.
0: Make sure you subscribe to Sick wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of Princeola's story and the rest of their season. Both are definitely worth a listen in your podcast app or at sickpodcast.org. Special thanks to Christine Herman and our friends at Side Effects Public Media for this week's episode, hosted and reported by Lauren Bavis and Jake Harper. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Trade Federal health officials gave several states the power to charge low-income adults monthly fees when they expanded their Medicaid program under the Affordable Care Act. New research shows that can be a problem.
3: There's strong overall evidence. The preponderance of evidence from a group of studies, including ours, suggests that premiums have a negative
1: effect.
0: We travel through time and across state lines to see how premiums have affected people on Medicaid. Next time on Tradeoffs.
6: If you enjoy trade-offs and the stories we bring to you, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about us, friend, colleague, family member. Better still, leave us a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. SICK is a production of WFYI Side Effects Public Media and PRX. This episode was made possible in part by the Richard M. Fairbanks Foundation, the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This episode was reported and produced by Jake Harper and Lauren Bavis, edited by Robert Smith, original music by Jordan Munson, sound design by Kyle Long. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Andrea Perdomo, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Senior Health Policy Editor Sarah Thomas, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, Executive Editor Dan Gorenstein, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Berna Hebner, Katie Haynes, Julie Stone, and Marilyn Bartlett. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sozose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. Views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade off staff, advisors, or funders.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.